Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumbling Fitcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary, and this is Food for Thought, a show that combines two of your three favorite F-words. I don't know what you're thinking. It's clearly food and football. The third one, for most people, is obviously Frankfurters, because we're all big <laughs> hot dog people. So get your head out of the gutter. I don't know what you were thinking. You know, I'm. I, listen, I'm. I'm well. I'm glad you brought up. Uh, brought up hot dogs. I was watching Bar Rescue today, and uh, they had the bar that they were rescuing cooking hot dogs and beer. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I think I'm going to tell you I don't, don't like it. As long as you don't boil it, I think it wouldn't really matter. That's what right? they were doing. They were boiling it in beer. But you're not supposed to boil hot dogs. Correct, Bruce. Yeah. See, simmering it, simmering it in beer, I'm good with. No, they were cooking it right, right in, right in the, right in the boiling, beer juice. Boiling it, boiling it doesn't feel appropriate. I Mm-mm. don't think that feels appropriate at all. Mm-mm. Well, we're going to turn up the heat tonight. We're going to turn up the heat tonight. Nate is living proof that internet bullying works. Nate, you know, I, you and I didn't get a chance to talk. Between the time we recorded Food for Thought last Friday... And the time when you announced to the Twitterverse that you were going to, okay, fine, you were going to relent and take a sip of eggnog. What happened? What happened? How did you end up with this turn of, you know, this complete 180 in mindset, this turn of mindset here that is about eggnog? What happened? Did someone get, did big, did big nog get to you, Nate? So you know who it actually was? It was Matt Warren. You don't want to let down Matt Warren. You know no, what I mean? Like he's, it's kind of like letting down your dad. You know, it's, it, yes. he wasn't mad at me. He was just disappointed. And uh, the second he said just how disappointed he was, I, uh, I went to Wegmans, picked up a uh, upstate farms eggnog. Um, and I'm, and I'm going to drink it. I just had a big pasta dinner. <laughs> so 
pasta oh. with eggnog. Yeah, let's see how this bad boy Absolutely goes. Absolutely amazing. I hope you don't uh-huh. have any real plans tomorrow. Uh, no, no, I don't. Good. I don't. Good, good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, it's funny. We were talking about eggnog last week, and then you get off, and you know, Matt Warren decides to say that he's disappointed in you, but that had an effect on you. But yet, me being disappointed in you didn't matter at all. The, no, the listeners no, being no mad effect. at you, not even relevant. But when Matt was disappointed in you, then it was, well, we got to do something now. Right, right. See, right. I always figured that I was like the wise older father of Bill's Mafia. But am I actually just a kooky uncle, Nate, who you just Yeah, you, you are definitely Uncle Bruce, for sure. Oh, and and oh. Th- there's a special place for Uncle Bruce. He's needed in the ecosystem and in the eco chamber, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Okay. So do you want to go ahead and take your sip of eggnog right off the bat? Yeah. Let's get this I mean, over it's, with. It, while it's cold. Let's get this over with. Right? That makes sense. For those of you who are listening, Nate Geary just shook up his eggnog. This is thick. Took, it, this is took the cap gross. off and is staring at it like, like he's very nervous. He's you, uh... very, very nervous. Nate, do you want to do the honors? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Here we go. Here comes the first sip of eggnog. I just wanted you to know, like, I, I don't drink milk normally. Like, I'm not a milk drinker, so mm. this is making it even a little bit more. So milk punch is just a step too far. Oh, God. He had the drink. He's tasting it on his lips. He's going back for a second drink. <laughs> Narrating Nate drinking something is really testing my play-by-play skills. I got to be honest. Somewhere there's someone listening to this pod going, really? I should get like yakety sacks or something playing in the background <laughs> while we do this. He's putting the lid back on. I'm ready for the review of eggnog, Nate. Well, I had to get three sips. My mouth is making a weird, my mouth's reacting. I like my mouth. I think my, my fight or flight senses is kicking in um, or, or are kicking in. And I think my body's starting to reject it. So hold on. So that's strong. I need to. Did you just chase it with water? Yeah. But didn't you bring yeah. in something special to chase it? Yeah, but this is that, that this is to make it everything be better this man this old fashioned. So Nate was told that alcohol was the key for eggnog. So he decided to get his alcohol on the side and he has an old fashioned that he's drinking to chase the eggnog. All right. Let's see how well your descriptive skills are. Nate, tell me about your eggnog. It just was so I don't know. I just, it, it just, it, it, it wasn't good. I, it was, it was more of an experience than I thought it was going to be. It's like a very textural experience. Um, it's thick, it's runny. Um, it tastes like I'm going to have heartburn later from it. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh there it is already. It's already. <laughs> We have our first, you know, I'm kind of shocked that we've been through this many episodes of Food for Thought and we have yet to get our first belched into the microphone uh, until right now. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a fan. Yeah. Okay. Think with two C's, Kristen. Definitely think with two C's. We did it. 
We did the thing. Nate had the eggnog. And moving forward, I didn't like it. Now that we've had eggnog, now we can talk about the more salient of classified foods, and that is Thanksgiving food. Now, I have a take that anyone hmm. who has followed me on social media will know, but in the event that you have not had an opportunity to hear this particular take, my take is this Thanksgiving food. Specifically, Thanksgiving sides are overwhelmingly garbage. Overwhelmingly garbage. That's such a broad, fake outrage take, Bruce. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you some great examples. Green bean casserole okay. is lousy. Mm, you've had some bad green bean casserole, I guess. I green just bean had casserole. Some one the other day. Lousy. Absolutely. Lousy. Cranberry sauce can absolutely go the way of the dinosaurs. Complete extinction. For cranberry what? sauce. Stuffing? Nah, pass on stuffing. Hard pass on stuffing. Bruce, what is what is Miss Nolan making for, for Thanksgiving that these are your takes right now? So last year for Thanksgiving, we made turkey and potatoes. Yeah. And mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. And I think we did a corn casserole. Okay. Those are those are good. I'm into that. that. That was basically it. So <clears throat> green bean casserole is one of my favorites if it's crispy enough on the top. So I like to even throw it in with the uh, extra, the crispy onions on top, because that's really important. But I, I think you probably have the runny green bean casserole, which nobody wants the runny too much cream of onion soup or cream of onion, cream of mushroom. Oh. Still, still has to have the after effects. Of this the might have been nod. a bad idea for the podcast. Just moving forward, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling unwell from that. I may, I might have to, might have to walk away for a couple of minutes here, regain my, uh, regain, regain my sea legs. But um, I'm going to tell you. Obviously, potatoes are like kind of the mainstay. They need to be there on the plate at the table. No questions asked, sort of thing, right? But I also think another really important mainstay and then and then the question comes maybe the most important question of thanksgiving but i'll ask you after i tell you what the next mainstay is is i do think that a good like good italian mild italian sausage stuffing can really set the tone like that that will be the thing that i tend to like go back and get more of and then for me i think i eat cranberry sauce the right way bruce which is cranberry sauce isn't really meant to be its own side which i think is I think often the reason that a person like you says, I don't like cranberry sauce, but if you're smart in one bite, you got a little turkey, little cranberry, little stuffing in one bite. Now you're doing Thanksgiving, I think a little bit more appropriately, but here's the real take that I want to, I just want to throw out there. Turkey is not that good. And I think if I was, if I had it my way, I would have ham. And I actually tried to pressure my girlfriend into doing ham for our Thanksgiving. Um, and she would not, uh, she would not budge away from, from going with young, uh, it what would it say? Uh, fresh young turkey. It sounds so wrong. That's how they're described as young turkeys. You you people are are psychopaths. Like I eat turkey, but unless it's deep fried or, or smoked, like roasted turkey kind of is lame. Oh man, that is that it's is. I like turkey. My wife does a slow cooker turkey every year. Ooh where you know all of the dryness that you would normally associate with the inside of a turkey is just non-existent when you slow cook it in its own juices and it has a chance to really 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 soften up and mm. 
I, I'm a big fan of the slow cooker, slow cooker turkey breast that she does as a a fair amount. Hmm. I say a fair amount of the time she does that. But yeah, Thanksgiving food. I'm just I'm just not I'm just not all that into it to be honest. And every year it creates a problem when I want to go somewhere else for Thanksgiving. Now this is important. I never want to go somewhere else for Thanksgiving. This is very important. At no point do I want to go to your house for Thanksgiving. Okay, hmm. never. So stop inviting me. I don't want to come to your house for Thanksgiving. I don't want to eat your 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 cranberry sauce and your green bean casserole. I don't want to feel obligated to eat all the crap that I don't like at your house. It's Let just, me stay so home. wrong of you. Stop inviting me places, right? And I won't have to worry about the food stuff because I get to eat what I want to eat instead of what you like to eat. So for me, I don't want to go anywhere. But one of the reasons I don't want to go anywhere is because everywhere I go is filled with places with sides. and foods that I don't like. So I'm not interested. It's a good, strong pass for me. I want to stay home with my wife and my dogs, and they can get some leftover turkey, and it'll be great. It'll be amazing. Can I tell you an underrated – well, it's not an underrated side. I guess it's just a side that I think gets over – no, that's not the word. What is often it's taken for granted in sometimes how difficult it can be to perfect, but mashed potatoes. Um, mm. I have had some bad mashed potatoes and that is like, and not just like, you know, the, uh, the boxed flaked mashed potatoes. Those are always bad, but like I've had people that, that have really, you know, boiled down their potatoes, peeled them, spent the time, did all the whole night. And it's like, you were, you know, uh, like, like putting in spackle into your mouth. It's, I, everyone makes the the critical mistake in my eyes, Bruce, is they don't use sour cream. And that's a big no-no for me. If you're making mashed potatoes, it better be filled with sour cream, lots and lots of butter, and uh, and of course, lots of salt. But like, I think people often miss the boat on the sour cream. Have you tried using cream cheese? No, that seems too much for me. It's It's fantastic. Like, it's absolutely fantastic. Are you talking about like the whipped cream cheese or just like normal Philadelphia? Yeah, whipped cream cheese in okay. with your mashed potatoes is amazing. Hmm. We use it a lot of times in place of sour cream, and it's fantastic. Big thing. I've, I've, I, I just, I like the, 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 the bite that sour cream can give you a little bit in there, and it just, it's kind of smooths it out. But I also am, <coughs> excuse me, I'm also a big proponent of leaving some skin on. And then doing kind of like the thicker mashed potatoes where you've got Absolutely. some chunks of potato in there. I'm yeah. a big proponent of leaving not all the skin, but some skin on, I think is important. Before we move on real quick, um, while we're on the topic, uh, sweet potato casserole is an abomination. So you couldn't be more wrong about that. Mo moving along. You anyway, could not be more wrong about that. If Bill's Jets. I'm upset about that. Was a meal, a good meal, a bad meal, whatever kind of meal you want to describe it. If Bill's Jets was a meal, Nate, hmm. what kind of meal would it be? It would be pheasant. And the reason it, it would be it would <laughs> the reason it would be pheasant is long, long ago, pheasant was a common man's food. You were sort of disappointed when pheasant came across the plate. Now it's more of a distinguished gentleman type of food. It's a special occasion. It's a rare fowl. So you get that sort of when when you've earned it, you know, you you've 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 been to the depths. And, you know, you were once uh, for this for the simple common folk and now you are for the rich folk um, that is pheasant because the bills were at a very low place. They were common man. They were they were 
but of normal human beings. And then this last week against the New York Jets team, they finally rose to the occasion. They became more distinguished. They they became more polished of a team. So for me, pheasant. Pheasant. Okay. Now I was not expecting that one, but I'm glad I got, I'm definitely glad that I got the explanation because otherwise if you would have just said pheasant period and then dead air, I would have been like, just, okay, first off, thank you for your immense radio talent Nate, and not elaborating basically and just, at all. And saying nothing and saying absolutely nothing. nothing. Just, you, know, you, you went Belichick on me. You went full Belichick on me. Never go full Belichick on me unless I ask you about a long snapper, in which case you can go Belichick because he'll go. Or off we're on. playing Cincinnati next week. Or we're playing Cincinnati next week. We're on to Cincinnati. But for me, if Bill's Jets was a meal, it would be a tall glass of water. That's it. And I'll tell you why. A couple things. Number one, people use tall glasses of water as being palate cleansers. If you've had something that has left a lingering taste in your mouth and hmm. you want to cleanse your palate, you will drink water. Like this the terrible egg thing is, water is a foundational function of human life. You need water to survive. You need it to continue to sustain yourself. And the third thing is it refreshes you. And that is what the wind did for me. It refreshed me. It cleansed the palate after a really bad it game. It got you back to zero. Jaguars, right? And games like that are a necessity. Games like that are a requirement. You need to have a couple games that aren't cardio-inducing that aren't stressful. You need a comfortable win on occasion to get your bearings back. And so for me, if Bill's Jets was a meal, it's just a single tall glass of water. That's it. It's a bad, that's a, that, that, that was it. probably your worst one, Bruce. You can't, it's a meal. We, if we asked you for your favorite drink, that we, we would be, what we, we would have to change the name of our podcast, Bruce. Come on. Next time. Sometimes people are poor and all they can afford is, is water. Nate. Next time, Bruce, come more prepared. It's like <clears throat> you're like the kid. That was really you're like good. Kid, you're like the kid that forgot to do his assignment and then came in late in the class and made up some bullshit right on, right on, right on demand. You're it right. Was actually of the two almost, of us, that definitely almost, describes me. <clears throat> I was yeah. almost a little offended at, at your answer, to be honest. And then you kept going on. Yeah. Yeah. Of the two of us, what you just described, it's hmm. totally me, not you in this relationship at all. Yes. Wow. Yes. I'm the one who's shooting from the hip, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good okay point. so we've got a couple of seconds before we bring on our guest schematically bills yeah. colts tell me what are you looking for nate what do you got your eye on you know what i've got my eye on bruce uh, i know what it's, you got it's, your eye on it's the offensive line um just as we you you start to feel good about the direction getting the continuity back you're thinking about getting john feliciano back and then COVID and and you know you're already dealing with I think another really important position in this game start with Tulele probably not playing Sunday because he still remains on the COVID list against what I believe is the best running back pound for pound in the NFL right now so um, you really can't overstate the importance of line play and I'm probably just going to in a de facto sort of way Bruce give this matchup on the on the offense and defensive line at the, at the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. I'm probably going to going to give the advantage to the Colts and if they win the line of scrimmage, 
it's going to have to come down to the arm of Josh Allen and, and, and can he get out and can Brian Dable manufacture some, some boot action, get him out of the pocket, move the pocket um, so that Josh can, can gain a couple extra seconds um, to, to, to sort of spread the ball around. So I think for me, it's that, that is probably right now, one of the top one, I'm sorry, one of the bottom two or three pass defenses in the league in Indianapolis, but the Bills faced the worst pass defense in all the football two weeks ago and put a six spot on them. So uh, anything is possible when the uh, if if Josh Allen or any quarterback can't get time. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. I think it's very interesting because I think that when you look at the Colts secondary, they feel about Andrew Sandejo not only the same way that every team who's ever had Andrew Sandejo has a field about him, but also the way that the Bills fans feel about Bobby Hart. That's the way it works. Is it that Browns- bad? Yes, Browns fans felt the same way about Andrew Sandejo. In fact, everyone who's ever had Andrew Sandejo on their team has been like, "Why? Why? Why, why is he still starting? even? Even uh, even his parents, they yes. they even piss and moan when he has to come home for Christmas and for Thanksgiving." Yeah, the way the Bills fans felt about AJ Klein for the first couple of weeks when he started in the middle mm. of last year, and they mm. said, "Literally, you can't possibly do any worse." And I was like, "Okay, first off." Anyone who's listened to George Carlin will tell you, you can absolutely you can always, always do, do worse. worse. You can always but do also, worse. But also, that's how Colts fans feel about Andrew Sandejo. But it's not going to matter if you can't get him in coverage. Yeah, It's not going to matter if you can't throw the ball down the field. And so for me, the question is, what do you do with the interior defensive line of the Indianapolis Colts? What do you do with it? Because you're going to have some scenarios where, like you said, you're going to have to move the pocket. You're going to have to run away from it because you're going to have to accept yeah. You're going to have to accept some flaws there. You're going to have to accept the fact that you're not going to hold up on the inside. It's just not going to happen. It's not like you can scheme your way into, I wonder if we see a lot of preemptive acceptance when it comes to using running backs in upgun in front of the quarterback, just saying, listen, we know there's going to be a hole here. We're just going to go ahead and pre-patch. 12 that. personnel, right? Bruce. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if you see more Tom, Tommy Sweeney and – uh, Dawson Knox on the field. I wouldn't be surprised if you see more of Reggie Gilliam. And that's not exactly the ideal game plan against the secondary that you want to exploit when you have to send out one or two less bodies out in routes. Uh, that's not exactly the ideal situation. So it's, 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 there, there's a good chance you, you end up seeing Bruce, a lot of delayed routes, guys staying in and then, and then bailing out. Luckily this, this Colts team isn't the, the, necessarily as aggressive as a team like the Dolphins um, or if you even go back to like Kansas City or Baltimore where they're blitzing a lot and you see a lot of that zero blitz the secondary right now and we'll talk to Zach Hicks of SI here in just a second and, and get the lowdown here but the secondary is 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 a weak point for them where they're not Matt Eberflus is a fantastic defensive coordinator and he's covered up uh, covered them up about as good as he can. Um, but the secondary is somewhere they really need to take advantage of. But but it starts up front, and Josh Allen doesn't have the time, and he can't be upright. It's hard to take advantage, like you said, Bruce. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
well, with the hopes that the Buffalo Bills can take advantage, but with the concerns that they might not, we are bringing in our guest, Mr. Zach Hicks from SI.com. Mr. Zach Hicks, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, Bills Colts week. I, I, I wish we could have done this last year during the playoff game. Did, what, were you guys have this show back then? No, this is this is the new show. This is okay. this is this is well, not that new, Bruce. How long? It's the new hotness. It? it is the new hotness. That's the new <laughs> new hotness. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, thanks so much for being here, man. Right off the bat, I, I want to ask you something. Thanksgiving food. What, you you got to take on Thanksgiving food here. Do you have any hot takes around Thanksgiving <laughs> food? Because I, I love it with you. I'm feeling the heat a little bit, and I need you somebody should. to take it off me. So could you, you tell me something along the lines of, you know, Thanksgiving's a horrible holiday and everyone hates it or something like that? Could you do some – give me some sort of take to take a little of the heat off me? No. I mean, uh, like I will say, I, I worked in, I've worked in retail for six years now, so Thanksgiving <laughs> – I've always hated because Black yep. Friday is actually Thanksgiving night. So Thanksgiving, I hated for that reason. But like as a kid growing up and like whenever I've been away from retail, Thanksgiving's always been my favorite holiday. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm a big just turkey and gravy guy and then, you know, stuffing. And I, I just love so much of the food on Thanksgiving. So uh, and then you get to watch football. And, and growing up, I was a Washington fan. So I got to watch them get get beat down every single every. <laughs> every single Thanksgiving. So it was great. Um, so yeah, no, I love Thanksgiving. I love everything about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to like food wise, I don't really have too many hot takes. As I just a, get, I just get all the turkey I can basically, and then throw all the gravy I can on top of it and, you know, just have fun with it. Yeah. That's the important part about gravy. And that's why like when, when I, when I'm at a particular place or I'm, I'm at a new spot for Thanksgiving and I see somebody pull out, the canned gravy. I just, there's, there's such a level of disappointment that, that sort of rushes over me. Like when somebody pulls that out, think about the other shortcuts that have been taken in that dinner. (laughs) I always love whenever you get like the, the, like the ladle and like the, the, yeah, congeals. For for some reason that gravy tastes amazing and it could be out of a can. I have no clue, but just if you have it in there, it's going to taste great. Like, I just know it. I'm, I'm super confident. Bruce, that. do you, are uh, you and Miss Nolan, you guys are ho- a homemade turkey uh, rendering gravy makers? Oh, absolutely. Or do you guys got to use the, the drippings, baby. Okay, good. I mentioned yeah. we use the slow cooker turkey breast. And so at the bottom of that slow cooker, you get a lot of goodness that yeah. you can mix up to make gravy. And it's, it's pretty solid. I'm not going to lie. I'll tell you what's not gravy. What's not gravy is the Bills' interior offensive line right now. No, <laughs> that's not gravy. You know How what else is not gravy? Transition. Uh, hold on, before you even go there, Zach, are you an eggnog fan? No. Okay, no. so I tried it for the first time tonight before no. you. And it's sort of like milk gravy. Is how I would describe it. So if you've never had it or you don't ever want to try it, I just I'm here to tell you, you there's no reason to ever try it. So yeah, I, you're welcome. No. I tried it once when I was younger. Since then, never again. Like, no, nah. I'm good. Yep. I, and I, in the comments section, there was multiple remarks about the the type that I got here. This Upstate Farm, apparently, it's it's very mm-hmm. basic B. Uh, it's just it's it's for it's just for idiots who need to put a whole bunch of rum in it. And I didn't put rum in it, so I guess uh, that's probably my bad. But like, if you first of all, it's it's if you Wikipedia what eggnog is, the how it's described is milk punch. So first and foremost, that is just repulsive. But secondly, um, since we're in the neighborhood of talking gravy, this has a very similar consistency of like what I want my gravy to be like. So that's definitely part of the problem with it. But Bruce, sorry, sorry for 
for for going down a weird path with this eggnog but it's the eggnog theme today so i had an absolutely brilliant transition and you just stepped all yeah. over it i had <laughs> yeah. the gravy to the gravy we're keeping with the whole food for thought thing sure. you just had to get your eggnog in says you the guy to... who's who who put a tall glass of water as what his meal of it was what, absolutely what... brilliant it was absolutely no, brilliant. terrible go ahead bruce go ahead. No, take, take, take take control so gravy Bill's offensive line, not gravy right now. Spencer Brown on COVID list re requires a lot of movement. The Bills signed Bobby Hart today. I know, I know for a fact. I could see you backstage nodding in agreement to my Andrew Sandejo com comparison. <laughs> I know, I know you know. Anyone who's yep. a Browns fan knows. Vikings fans know. They know about Sandejo. They send a no for sure. But DeForest Buckner has been every bit what he was advertised to be when the Colts traded a first-round pick for him. And the 49ers thought, well, we'll just really easily draft a defensive tackle and replace him. And it hasn't quite gone that way because DeForest Buckner has been every bit as good as he was advertised to be. What does having Quiddy pay healthy and starting to turn the corner and starting to see the back half of his rookie year what does that do for this defensive line that already includes a player like DeForest Buckner? I mean, it does a ton. I mean, you guys saw last year in the playoff game, the Colts were able to get some pressure, but they just did not have the athleticism up front to contain Josh Allen. I mean, given most defensive ends don't have that, but uh, Justin Houston, Danico Autry, both very talented veteran guys. Uh, the Colts kind of realized after that game, like we need to go younger. We need to go athletic. Uh, even though those guys, again, are, are very solid players. Uh, so they kind of went to the draft route, and they went super young. They went Quiddy Pay, They went Dio Dambo. And they want, They said, okay, we're going to develop these guys, and we're just going to see what they get. So, you know, it is a notable step back from what it was last year with this pass rush. But what we've seen these last couple weeks, and I know it's against the Jaguars and the Jets, but, you know, when you look at their offensive lines, the Jets and Jaguars, like, they're not great, but they're not, like, backups you know they're not the worst offensive lines in the league I think the Jets are 12th in pass block win win percentage whatever it is uh with ESPN so you know decent offensive lines and the Colts young pass rushers are finally starting to step up you know they're getting um they're they're getting quitty pay to kind of be quitty pay the guy that they drafted him to be uh, a random breakup breakout has been Taylor Stallworth these last couple of weeks at defensive tackle. Uh, they've kind of rotated him in on, on third downs and had him rushing alongside DeForest Buckner. And he already has as many sacks as he had in his entire career uh, in the last two games, uh, along with he has double the quarterback hits that he had in his entire career in the last two games. Uh, so they, the pass rush is finally starting to come around. And I think going into that Jets game two weeks ago, uh, the Colts were last in the NFL in quarterback hits and pressure percentage. Now they're slowly starting to get up to, you know, around 20th or so just because these last two weeks have been so good with their pass rush. So I will say, you know, for this Bills offensive line that is a little banged up, having, a, you know, Spencer Brown not be in the lineup, they are kind of catching the Colts at a time where their pass rush is actually decent right now or, or like at a point where we can say like, okay, hey, they're actually doing something to the quarterback because early in the year that just wasn't the thing, wasn't the, the point or what, what they were doing. So, Zach, I don't know if you know this about Bruce, but Bruce is a, a coverage over pass rush guy um, mm -hmm. and uh, and will go to bat with just about anybody on it. I, you, 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 start, you start to talk about the struggles of this Colts defense and where maybe they're starting to come into their own. Where in, let, let's say, this defense, this Matt Eberflus defense, 
sort of sees their ceiling this year with the personnel that it has. Like, are, are we seeing sort of with a pass rush, with an increased pass rush and, and, a, and a better performing pass rush, that some of the pressure off the secondary can get relieved a little bit and and, and maybe they can start to see more success in the back end? Or or do you believe that there, if, if the good offenses that, that, that exist in the AFC, they're just going to target and they're going to take advantage of those sort of weak spots in that secondary? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I always hear people talk about the, you know, the Colts poor secondary, which when you look at the passing numbers and and what they've allowed in pass defense, yeah, you could absolutely say that. But when you actually watch the film, the cornerbacks have been mostly fine. I mean, Xavier Rhodes is is kind of looking like a washed corner. Uh, so that that's definitely an issue, but Rocky Sin, I think is his pro football focus is 20th overall corner in terms of coverage grade this year. He's had a really good bounce back season. Uh, Kenny Moore is one of the best nickel guys in, in all of football, uh, just an outstanding corner. And then Isaiah Rogers, a six-round pick last year, is playing some pretty good ball. So I think these corners are playing well. They're playing at the at the level where they can compete with good receivers. Uh, but the issues really in pass defense come right down the middle. It, it's the linebackers are just not getting it done in pass coverage, and then the safeties are just so, so injured right now. I mean, like like Bruce was saying, Anderson Dejo is has been a starter the last couple weeks. Um, that's basically just because he's been with the team the longest. Uh, they're getting a die out there who's a longtime vet. Uh, Josh Jones out there a little bit, but he had a couple bad plays last week. George Odom, who's mostly a special teamer guy. So, you know, these safeties, they're they're down to their – they're not down to their second or third safety. They're down to their third, fourth, fifth safety. You know, it, it's, it's really down the depth chart. Uh, so having this pass rush finally – you know, start stepping up, start developing, you know, Taylor Stallworth, Quiddy Pay, DeForest Buckner still doing his thing. Uh, it, it really is taking the pressure off of a secondary or at least a middle of the field that can't be exploited. Now, there, there is still ways to beat that, that this defense in the past, and I think that's definitely the best way to go. Uh, but I do think the corners on the outside give a little bit of pressure. They, they do a good job of competing. And then with, if the pass rush is, you know, playing good football like they had the last two weeks, this defense is uh, pretty tough to beat. Darius Leonard had one of my absolute favorite injury quotes of all time recently. <laughs> and it was when asked about his ankle, Darius Leonard said, it's attached. That's about it. That's it. That's all you got from Darius Leonard <laughs> saying, hey, it is still physically located on my body. Like that's as far as I can go and still give a positive review. I really feel like if Baker Mayfield just would have said about his shoulder injury or his knee injury or his any other myriad of injuries if he just would have said it's attached that's mm -hmm. about it people would have been like he just went up a notch in my book like that was a really cool response you know but he didn't say that he didn't do anything so how badly compromised is Darius Leonard <laughs> you know he's he's absolutely psychotic uh he's he is he is when you think of the mentality of a linebacker he is a psychotic human being uh and he will play through anything uh, when you watch the film this year, he is not the same Darius Leonard with how he moves. Uh, you know, before, if you watch the last couple of years, you would say, okay, yeah, you know, maybe one of the 10 best moving linebackers, like one of the most athletic linebackers in the NFL. This year, it's just not there, you know, and and he's never been a great coverage backer. What we're seeing is a lot more in coverage this year. Uh, so the Colts are disguising it a little bit. You know, they're having him rush the passer a little bit more. Uh, they're having him stay around the line of scrimmage a little bit more. Uh, but the craziest thing about Darius Leonard is despite his ankle barely being on and him just not being healthy and not moving the level that he was, he still is. I think he's created eight turnovers this year. 
Uh, he's forced, you know, he's forced like five fumbles. He's got three interceptions or whatever it is. I, I don't know the official number right now, but like Darius Leonard, despite not being completely healthy, is still a playmaker on the defense. So are you kind of scheming or worried about like a complete linebacker who's going to shut down he's against or make the perfect play every time? No. But with Darius Leonard, even when he's injured, he's going to force turnovers and he's going to be a playmaker. And that's something that opposing offenses and quarterbacks have to be aware of with Darius Leonard. Zach, I, I want to go on the offensive side of the ball, and I love the work you did this offseason on Carson Wentz and breaking down his film and trying to find the good in what has been, I think, a really tough last few years of his career. And there's definitely no denying this was sort of his last, <laughs> sort of his last chance. It felt like, anyways. Now, you know, across the NFL, there are so many teams that are quarterback and you never know if it's true, if it would ever truly been his last chance, even if he flamed out. But the guy we saw at the end of training camp, which was just such a difficult situation, it just felt like, man, this feels very Carson Wentzy, right? It just like everything sort of kept coming back to he can't stay healthy. Then he sprains both of his ankles and he's got just and he's got the foot surgery. Everything what could that could go wrong with Carson Wentz this offseason and into the training camp did go wrong. However, it looks like he's starting to find his way. And then like every time everyone's like, Ooh, Carson Wentz, he throws a left-handed interception for a pick six. <laughs> and then, Oh, he hasn't thrown an interception in six and a half quarters. And Oh my God, what a terrible play. So they're still, while the volume mistakes maybe have been, have been reduced down the, the, the one or two mistakes he, he still is making um, they do tend to find to, they, they end up being big points in the game, but, but overall from the 30,000 foot view, based on where you guys stand in the AFC, the turmoil that existed early in this football season, what are your overall thoughts? Mid-season grade, where, where are you on Carson Wentz? I think you, I think the only way you can really grade him, even though the stats look great, I think it's 17 touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, for me, I think it's right middle of the line, just, a, a, he's a kind of an average quarterback and, and the problem with the way that he's average, you know, he's not just consistently average. He's very, very volatile. It's either going to be, oh, he's going to throw for 300 yards or 400 yards and a couple touchdowns, or we're going to get a 100-yard game and, and a pick. You know, we're going to get the way that he played against the Titans in both games, or we're going to get the way that he played against uh, the Jaguars this past week or his complete dud. Uh, or we're going to have games where, you know, Monday Night Football against the Baltimore Ravens. He comes out and throws for the most career yards and, you know, most yards in his entire career and gives the Colts offense a chance to win that game if they just make a couple kicks. Uh, so, I, you know, I, it sucks having a quarterback who's so volatile and and you don't know what he's going to do each week. Uh, but I think overall, if, if you're just looking at the way that he performed last year in 2020, uh, where, you know, he was barely a rosterable quarterback. He was that bad last season. Now you got a guy who's more around league average and he can give you some good high points. I think that's an improvement. So overall, you know, you want to see more. You want to see how he does in the big matchup against the Bills this week. You know, can he perform against a top team? And not just a top team on offense or a top team on defense, but a top overall team all around the board. Can he, you know, throw punches in that matchup? Uh, that's really the biggest thing going forward. He's got a couple of those coming up. But, you know, for the most part, he's shown that he's not broken. He's shown that he can be at least league average again. Uh, so I think that's a win, at least in my book. I got to pivot, and I got to ask you about Jonathan Taylor. First off, uh, there is there is no question here. Jonathan Taylor is the best running back in the league. That's, that's not a question. That's a statement that I'm just making. So I will fight you 
or anyone else. You're obviously probably not going to fight me on it, but I will fight anyone else <laughs> in the comment section who would like to say elsewise. So my question is this with Carson Wentz being okay this year, right? He's, he's been, he's been okay. I think we can all agree. Yeah. Carson Wentz has been okay. He's certainly markedly better than he was last year with mm -hmm. the Eagles and knowing that okay quarterbacks can still have success. You can have an okay season from a quarterback and still be successful. Is Jonathan Taylor the kind of player who can be the focal point of a Super Bowl team? I mean, I always subscribe to the mindset that you need that top quarterback. Uh, that's always been me. If you have a top quarterback, you can consistently get there. But we have seen one-off teams where, oh, they have a top 10 defense and they have a legit playmaker like a Jonathan Taylor or like a star receiver. Uh, and they can be that focal point to get them you know, to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, in, in a sense, yeah. Uh, but for me personally, I'm, I'm always going to subscribe to the the top quarterback. But like you said, Jonathan Taylor, uh, at least you know to completely get rid of all of the debate of he's the best healthy running back in the NFL right now. Um, he's playing like he's he's probably got the you know the early edge to be the the offensive player of the year with the way he's playing. Uh, just an outstanding player, and he's gotten better and better every single game. And you know, for Bills fans that they might not think that he's that great uh, just go turn on some film i mean he's just an outstanding player zach uh to finish up and get you out of here i gotta ask you about uh a very special someone uh particularly <laughs> this someone has a bit of a history between bruce and i and and so i can set the stage and give you the context zach what was the pick in in, in our dynasty uh fantasy league bruce that i traded for you for uh for michael Pittman last offseason what was the remind uh, was it a two? It was a two. Yeah. It wasn't a three. I thought it was a three. It was a two. It was a twenty twenty three two. I'm a hundred percent sure. Or yes. I have, 20, I, okay. I have the best. So it was a two, it was a, a second round pick two years in advance. He sold me, sold real low on Michael Pittman. Uh, and I am uh, bearing the fruits of 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 all of his labor right now. But tell me a little bit about the ascension here, Zach, of Michael Pittman and, and a guy that listen, I I sort of keep going back in the same way that I believe the Bills in an unthinkable way. You know, draft Boogie Basham in the second round this year instead of Creed Humphrey, who's probably going to be an all-pro center uh, as he moves throughout the rest of the season and into the rest of his career. And Boogie Basham's in street clothes. I, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are probably just kicking themselves for taking Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, over Michael Pittman, who has just turned into such a legit. Imagine Pittman in that offense as a bona fide number two receiver. Talk about unstoppable. But you know, their loss is obviously the Indianapolis Colts gain. Tell me a little bit about what makes him so special and and what it took for Carson Wentz, maybe his presence, to really elevate um, Pittman's game a little. Yeah, you know, starting kind of with his rookie year, the Colts like to slow play their rookies quite a bit. I mean, receivers in particular. You know, so Michael Pittman Jr., you could see flashes of it in his rookie season. And I even got to the point at the end of the season, like going into last year, I was like, okay, cool. Michael Pittman Jr., Long-time wide receiver, too. He's going to be a solid, solid player for this team. And a lot of last year you could see that, but there were just flashes of, like, after the catch and mm -hmm. things when he had go up in traffic and get something, he would. And it was just like, like okay, there might be something here. Uh, but even, even then, even with my most optimistic expectation, I did not expect the year that he's having this season. Uh, as someone who was, you know, very high on a lot of players, I just didn't see it with him becoming a bona fide number one receiver uh, who can kind of compete against anyone. And and that's kind of what he's grown to. And we saw, I think we saw it best in that playoff game against the Bills last year, you know, big game against the Bills, mm -hmm. 
you're going against one of the best teams in the league and he comes out and he has a big performance and we're just kind of seeing that carry over this year. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I really thought after last year, you know, more of an underneath guy, big body guy, he'd catch everything on third down, uh, but he's kind of become an all around receiver. You know, he can win vertically, he can win intermediate, he can win short. Uh, I think he's got the most receiving yards and catches in the NFL on third down this year. So teams know that they're going to him on third down, but he's still making plays. Uh, so, yeah, like when you said ascension of Michael Pittman Jr., I think that's exactly what we're seeing. I think he's on pace for 1,200 yards this year uh, as really the only – like the, the second leading receiver on the Colts right now is Jonathan Taylor. So Michael Pittman Jr. is the only receiver you really have to be worried about, and he's still beating defenses. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think he's an outstanding young receiver, and I think that he – I mean, he's already surpassed my expectations so far, and he's only going to get better, I think. Uh, just an outstanding player, great mindset, and he catches almost anything thrown his way. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz has kind of unlocked that with his ability to just kind of force it to him. But uh, I think a lot of the credit has to go to Michael Pittman Jr. and just where he is right now in his career. He reminds me of Elshon Jeffrey with juice, just like with, yeah. with like athleticism. It's just it's it, uh, the things that you watch him do at his size – I think is to me the most interesting thing. And, and I still think, and, and I've thought this since Pittman came into the league and what I saw of him at USC is I believe that they haven't fully unlocked his ability out of the slot yet. And I think once he, yeah. um, once they sort of unlock that and they can find him a true number two, where they can really kind of play with personnel groupings, bump him in um, into the slot. I think he he's the type of guy that could be, you know, top four, top five kind of guy in the NFL. So I, it'll be interesting to see his growth. And and I'll be most interested this weekend, Zach, in the matchup against Tredavious White, who yeah. um, right now is probably playing some of the best football of his young career. And, you know, because he that, that trade White just doesn't have those 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 volume interception numbers. He doesn't really necessarily get the same, you know, hype and the love that a guy like Jalen Ramsey gets. But I mean, when you, nobody throws Trey White's way for a reason. So that, that matchup um, who I think will be motivated by the way, Trey White after, after definitely to, to your point in that playoff game last year, Michael Pittman really um, had his way with that bill's defense. But uh, Zach, we appreciate you so much. Thanks for making time for us on your Friday night, brother. Um, I know I'll have you back on with me tomorrow on sports talk Saturday on WGR. So I'll be looking forward to, uh, to doing that with you, man. Tell the folks here, uh, that are listening and watching along um, where they can find your work and uh, what you got coming up. Yeah. So you guys can, you know, you guys find me on Twitter at Zach Hicks too. Nice and simple. It's right there in my, uh, my bio there uh, or in my little title there. Uh, and then also, yeah, SI Colts, uh, we call it horseshoe huddle, but you know, just look up sports illustrated Colts. You can find me on there writing everything Colts love, hate, you know, everything from Colts fans. You guys know how it is. Uh, but yeah, man, excited for this past week or for this next week and, uh, excited to be on your radio show tomorrow, man. Awesome, bro. We appreciate you, Zach. Enjoy the game this weekend and, uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving with your family. Uh, as I'm sure we probably won't, you, you and I will chat tomorrow, but, uh, if, if I don't see or, or chat with you before then, uh, enjoy the holiday, my friend. Yeah. Thanks buddy. You too. We appreciate you. Zach Hicks there of SI.com. He covers the Colts. Um, over at SI underscore Colts on Twitter. That's his, uh, that's the team page. And of course, uh, he mentioned you can follow him at Zach Hicks two on Twitter. And it's Zach with an H, by the way, which is an important distinction for those who have uh, friends, multiple Zach friends with, uh, with different spellings. Bruce, I have three Zach friends that have three different spellings Z A C H, Z A C K, and the elusive Z A K. Do you have a Z A C in your group? Ooh, I, I don't. Well, I think you're you're missing the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. 
I guess so. Yeah, well, I guess that's why we haven't had the apocalypse because I haven't because you don't have a together. ZAC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Nate, I've heard you make a couple references to the Pittman trade before, oh, and, you? and you've 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 had a little oh, bit of laughing at my expense. Oh, and so Bruce. what I did was I prepared for did the you? event that you were going to do this. Did and so you? what I have what I have decided to put up on the screen right now is an example of Nate Geary's trade that he made to Joe Marino for Miles Gaskin and to a tug scorched of earth, huh? Bruce, so, Bruce, Bruce, wins, Bruce just went scorched earth. I guess so that's, that's what this he is. decided to trade four first round picks to Joe Marino for Miles Gaskin and to a tug of Aloha. It will go down in history as being <laughs> potentially the worst possible trade I have ever seen. So I told Nate, I told him a long time ago. I said, listen, he man, did. you keep giving me crap about this, this, this trade when it really wasn't that bad. I got a high second round pick out of it. So for me, it's not that bad. All things considered, it could have been a little bit better. I'm not going to lie. Joe Marino in the comments section, making sure that he's, he's here to vouch for what happened. He can confirm that it did go down, but I just want to make sure I throw that up there just so everybody knows that. Listen, Nate, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I told you, I told you, you, you keep, you keep making fun of me. Eventually I'm going to bite back. <laughs> Nate, turns, <laughs> he turns off his camera. He's like, I'm done. I'm done with you. I'm absolutely done with you. You're done. I, I, yes, I love it. And why, and what did you, did you text Joe Marino to make sure that he was in here for this? Like, did no, you... I saw him in here earlier and I quick, while you were talking to him, I quick uploaded the image onto the onto the uh, stream yard so i could drop it in here when i saw that he was in here before you son of a bitch <laughs> come on man that was brilliant the absolutely brilliant joe says the silver lining is that nate in his heart cannot stand to it it's no true. i can't he went against his better judgment and traded for two mind you mind you here's what nate doesn't tell you he also traded joe burrow to me I got now i have joe burrow and he's looking for a quarterback. I got so, Nick you know Chubb what? out of it. You did get Nick Chubb out of it. Would you rather have and Joe Burrow? <laughs> I got Nick Chubb and a first out of it. You did get Nick Chubb and a first. Yes, you did. But I got Joe Burrow. So you did this when I got friggin' nasty ass eggnog in my stomach. I got I got milk punch in my stomach, and that's what you pull. I wasn't planning on doing this until yes, you brought you up were. the Pittman trade again. You knew you knew we had a Colts guy on, so you knew that I was going to bring up Pittman. You didn't have to. You chose. You brought this on yourself, Nate. You brought it on yourself. But we have we have an email that is not me emailing myself the image of that trade. It is actually a food for thought related question, and I love this question. I saw it. I was like, Nate's going to be so excited. So I got this this email from Squeedersaurus is the name of this guy. And Love he that. said, good day, Bruce. My name is Lester. And I'm a huge fan of both of your shows. I have a somewhat hot food take for you. Not a take on hot food, a hot take about food. I believe that spoons are a better mechanism for eating mac and cheese than forks. Well, a majority of the time I see people picking up macaroni with a fork rather than using the prongs to stab the noodles. Why have why not have more surface area to pick up the noodles? This is especially true with regular craft mac and cheese since they're too small yeah. and slippery to stab. Even if you do stab it, you don't get as many noodles per scoop. I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on the subject. Thank you so much, Go Bills. Nate, I loved this take. 
Yeah, this is the one. type of take that food for thought was created for. Was created for. Yeah. Right. We obviously we want to talk about football. That's cool too. But really, let's be honest. We're here about food. Right. We're here about food. We're here to talk about food, and we're here to mix that conversation in with football. I got to hear. What do you think about mac and cheese with a spoon versus mac and cheese with a fork? So I guess really what this comes down to is, is it's a roux based or are we just going straight into a slow cooker because the, the al dente, the level of firmness to the noodle, I think matters here. If you go with like a real, I also think the size of the noodle, panne, like, you know, fat bobs. Have you, you, you've, you've been to fat bobs before, right? I have. Okay. So, and I assume you've gotten their mac and cheese. Of course. It's very good mac and cheese. I it's definitely not the best mac and cheese, but it's good mac and cheese. But they make it with like, you know, full size penne noodles. You can't go spoon with those. Mm-mm. You can't. You I like to hook the penne in the actual fork itself. In the fork, in the fork, yeah. uh, in the fork prong. So you get four. Yeah, go full, sideways. Well, so you you're go three full size the noodle pieces. at all. You're actually yeah. sliding mm-hmm. the prong of the fork inside the penne noodle and lifting it out. So listen, folks, here's the best way to find out uh, if, if you're out at an Italian restaurant. Just look around, and if someone is eating their penne by sticking their fork into the small penne holes, you know you have finally found Bruce Nolan in the wild. Daggone it, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone's going to be so self-conscious. They're going to be yeah. looking at the penne noodles. Who here got penne? Penny's on the uh, penne's on penne? the menu. Excuse me. Uh, to you go to you go to the um, you know, to the to the to the main waitress or the uh, the bus the bus boy. Like, hey, listen, uh, here's here's a twenty dollar bill. You see anybody here tonight while I'm here eating penne like a serial killer? Let me know. <laughs> Let me know, please. Zach says the FBI is FBI taking this. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Nate. Just out here giving the FBI stuff. No, I think this is a wonderful take. I absolutely think it's a great take. I think that one of the things. That is interesting to me when it comes to fork and spoon is what kind of ratio of noodle to cheese sauce do you want to get? And I think the, Mm. if you get something that is a little bit runnier, then you might want to actually drain the noodle a little bit before you, you don't want noodle soup. You want there to be something left in the bottom because that's why I think it primary. Go ahead. I was going to say roux-based mac and cheese is like you you get the little flour, you get the little cornstarch, so you get that like Mm. thickness. Like I'm totally with you. There's nothing. That's why craft is like go get the Annie's, um, you know, organic or go get like Velveeta. And and I know we're talking degrees of fake cheese, but I think the Velveeta cream cheese or like that, whatever you'd want to call that version of cheese over the powdered cheese, because the powdered cheese just does not get thick enough. And I know there's probably cornstarch in there, but like. I I am all about Velveeta over over Easy Mac, and I hope that's not a crazy take here. But that's not a crazy take at all. And I'm a Stouffer's guy, so oh, okay. I make no apologies for my Stouffer's fandom when it comes to uh, mac and cheese. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. I just I I think Easy Mac is super overrated. Like when I was in college, and all I could afford was the seventy nine cent Easy Macs. Of course, like grab those or or the 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 pre bowl ones where all you had to do is put a little water in, throw it in the microwave, serve it. Like I, I get that we we were all in our poor stage where uh, you know girls wouldn't talk to us. I get it, but like we we've all evolved. I don't know anything about the stage where girls wouldn't talk to you. I, I don't. Know. <laughs> can't, sorry, I can't help you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> he, turns, he turns off the camera again he's gone he's like i'm done with you again i'm done with you again okay I'm done with so, the show. 
moving along, we went through the mailbag. We had the conversation. If there are questions in the comments, now's the time. If you have hot takes, now's the time. I will be scrolling through it. Uh, Cam, thank you so much for saying this is the content that I'm here for. Amanda has a hot take. She says, biggest hot take, stuffing should be a year-round dish. Fourth mm-hmm. of July, birthdays, everything. Okay, now, this is There important. should be seasonal stuffings. Like I don't like Different stuffing. ingredients based on the season you know fall you get a little right. bit like you sure. know cranberry some Ap- dried yeah. cranberry maybe maybe summertime you get some some dried apricot in there so this is this, important the reason why i don't like stuffing is because i don't like a lot of the herb choices that people use for stuffing hmm. i'm not a thyme guy i'm not a rosemary guy so there i can imagine different seasonal stuffings that i would be okay with i can i can envision a stuffing that i would be completely fine with so when it comes to holiday meal or dish you guys believe should be year round amanda this is my take anything you want to eat should be a year-round dish that's right anything if you want chili on august 4th at 7 a.m you should eat chili at august 4th on 7 a.m if you want eggnog in in june in miami florida you should be your nickname should be Hannibal Lecter, you sick, sick, sick human. You should be incarcerated <laughs> at that point. That's what you should be. I can just imagine a bearded Will Ferrell going, Eggnog was a bad was choice. A bad choice. Eggnog was a, was a bad choice. T Dobbs says, After watching Mac Jones last night, I realized he was a machine. His passes are textbook choices a machine would select. A disciplined DB group can step between the receiver and go the other way. I am. Fine with Mac Jones. I'm fine with Mac Jones. I, I don't understand the national slobbering over Mac Jones at this point. Mm. I think Mac Jones has been completely reasonable. Last time I did the QB stew for Mac Jones, he was 16th at the time. So he's fine. He's being conservative and he's being reasonable, but the only pass he threw over 20 yards last night got picked. So I think he's in a good system. Mm-hmm. And he is following the rules of the system as well as any quarterback has it in recent memory in that system that wasn't named Tom Brady. He followed it better than Hoyer. He followed it better than Jared Stidham. He followed it better than Cam Newton. But so far, that's all we've seen that he is. So what you are seeing is a human manifestation of Josh McDaniels' system. Mm-hmm. But you're not seeing a quarterback who's rising above it. You're not seeing a quarterback who's rising above the X's and O's. You're seeing a quarterback who's living inside the X's and O's, which is fine. There's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that as a That's rookie right. quarterback. There's nothing. I am not bashing Mac Jones. I'm saying if this is the only thing we get from Mac Jones ever, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. But either. there's a reasonable chance this isn't all you got from Mac Jones. But the thing is, I'm, I'm surprised that when you read the scouting report on Mac Jones, all this of is these what things we're going to get. Did yeah. anybody think that Mac Jones was not going to have a higher floor than the other quarterbacks? The reason why Mac Jones was taken last of that group of quarterbacks was not because they thought he would be worse as a rookie. It's because they thought he had the lowest ceiling. That's the reason yep. why. And that's proven to be true. So why are we now all sitting around wondering and acting like somehow this wasn't expected? I just don't get it. Nate, am I, am I taking crazy pills? No, you're not. And and listen, I think this is exactly what you were going to expect to see in the system. And, and I think people are asking the right questions, right? Like, would Mac Jones be this in any other system right now anywhere, right? Is, is Mac Jones Mac Jones if he's in Atlanta? Is Mac Jones the guy we're seeing every week if he's in Miami or if he's in another one of these systems? And I think 
I think the answer is no. And I think he's in a system that that understands what his skill set is and uses it. You know, I, I think there's a good chance that in some of the worst starts we saw from Justin Fields, there's a good chance that his coaches don't understand his skill set and what his strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and and they don't lean in, in the same way that Josh McDaniels leans into Mac Jones. But I'll say this. I, I, I don't believe that this is going to be the Mac Jones we see three, four, five years from now. I do think he sort of has the, he probably has the ceiling of like, what I think everyone thought Kirk Cousins was going to be, which is just a more consistent guy, but he's going to have to exist in that system, which is they're going to have to have a successful running game. If they don't, I think the way to beat Mac Jones, especially right now, early in his career, line your guys up five yards across the line of scrimmage, play man, physical press coverage, and force him to make tight window throws to, to throw guys open. Um, I also think you need to get pressure in the middle on Mac Jones. If Mac Jones has to move to the right or to the left, particularly to his left, turn his leg, turn his, uh, his hips around, get his shoulders around and get the ball down the field. He's going to really struggle when teams force him to use his arm. I still think that he is benefiting from not having a ton of film on him yet. I, it, that's going to come around it. And, and I think if you're the bills, I think if you're some of these teams that like to run a lot of pressure looks, um, and the Bills have been a more pressure and a more man-oriented team than maybe they ever have before. And I don't think there's any, um, I don't think there's any coincidence that they're playing some of the best football that they've ever played, particularly from a pass defense. They're running more man. They're letting Trey White shadow teams number one wide receivers. We're seeing elevated play from Levi Wallace. We're seeing all pro level play from the two safeties. They're able to disguise pre-snap. Mac Jones has not faced the defense pre-snap like the Buffalo Bills. So I think for me. I am going way cold on these Patriots because I just think that everyone is just going way too, way too hard on the team um, that, you know, listen, they're winning football games the way that I think Bill Belichick wanted to, which is they're going to play good defense. Matthew Judon, they're getting a really high return on investment for him in free agency. I thought he's been really good for them. A revelation on the defensive side of the ball They're in, I think uh, Christian, uh, Christian Barmore has been, he's been really, really good. Um, you talk about some of the things that they're getting out of Kyle Van Noy, who, you know, the, the Dolphins decided to give away after signing to a big contract. So like, listen, Bill Belichick's going to do his things. He's going to get the ceiling out of a lot of guys. But I think right now I'll be, I'll be interested to see the same questions that exist about Lamar Jackson, which is, can you play from behind? Lamar has answered those questions, but it took him four years. I think it's going to take a little while to prove that Mac Jones can play from behind, can play when teams know he's going to throw it, and when play action isn't as um, you know isn't as as useful for him. But it, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out. They're not going to win out. I still like the Bills to win both matchups against the Patriots, um, but we'll see that they're not going to be easy games. That's for sure. Jr. says what I was going to say, and I probably should have been saying multiple times here. Jr. Please hit the like button, everyone. By the way, yes, like. Rate, review, subscribe, all the engagement stuff. We love it. Thank you so much. I got an email the other day um, from a listener, and it was just, it was just awesome. I, it, some of the, some of the fans of this show are some of the best people in Bill's mind. Indeed, and Indeed. I've gotten some unbelievable, uh, unbelievable takes and unbelievable emails from people who are just like, I just have so much fun. I just have so much fun. I kick off my shoes at the end of a long week and I watch some food for thought and it's just, it's just a good time. So thank you for that. So we're going to close it up with winners and losers from this week in the NFL. Nate, I mm. want to go with loser first because I want to end on a sure. positive note like because it. 
I got berated for Pittman. You got berated for the Tua trade. So I want to make sure we end up sure. on a positive note. Sure. So because of it, we're going to start with losers. Who okay. is your loser you- in the NFL this week? It's tough for me, but I've got to say it's Aaron Rodgers. And I just think Aaron Rodgers continues to look um, worse and worse just from a human perspective. And uh, this this year did some damage for the 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 overall persona of of Aaron Rodgers, particularly for a guy like me, who I just I, there are certain quarterbacks that I've always really liked and I've always leaned into and 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 have adored from an on field perspective, but also just the the everything about uh, Aaron Rodgers had always really clicked for me. And uh, you know, I just I, I don't I'm I'm not with it anymore. So Aaron Rodgers, I, I think he's probably also been um, a loser on this show uh, a few other times this year, but but another week I think where he just i just sometimes i wish that he would just 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 you know what this is what i wish Aaron Rodgers would do sometimes Bruce <laughs> for those of you listening in podcast form again he shut off his camera he just went completely three normal. times today yeah three times yes okay. yeah it, it, it's a good move it's a good move uh, i'm not going to lie so for me the biggest loser this week is Pete Carroll mm. we all knew we all knew that Pete Carroll had been propped up by a healthy and dynamic Russell Wilson for a long time. Now that he doesn't have a healthy and dynamic Russell Wilson, all of a sudden, it's not quite the same. And Russell Wilson ends up getting blanked against the Packers. But again, you know, he's come back from a broken finger on the throwing hand. So it's one of those scenarios where I have never been, anyone who's listened to the Bruce exclusive knows, I am not a Pete Carroll apologist. I don't think he's that good of a coach. I think he's a very middling NFL head coach who has been propped up by a really, really, really good quarterback. And so for me, the fact that this is finally getting exposed, to Pete Carroll's credit, he knows. He, he does. Out said, he he does. out said multiple times, I would have gotten fired a long time ago if it wasn't for Russell Wilson. So congratulations on the self-awareness, Yep, Pete. But if Russell Wilson isn't with the Seahawks next year, if he does Which he's not going trade, to be then why on earth are you going to keep Pete Carroll? Why not? Why I don't, don't you think keep you Pete can. Carroll? I don't think you can. It, you know what? It's a clean break. You got rid of the quarterback. Get rid of the coach. Just move on, right? So for me, if Pete Carroll could have shown that there's a possibility, a possibility of success post-Wilson, if Pete Carroll would have done what Belichick did last year, Belichick went 7-9 and nine with a horrible roster, a horrible roster the 2020 Patriots roster was bad real bad he went seven to nine and was competitive throughout that was when the question of was it Belichick or Brady which is a stupid question to begin with because it's never one or the other it's always both the question is to what degree but when it was done everyone was like okay you can win with Belichick and without Brady I don't know if you're going to win Super Bowl but you can win games with Belichick without Brady because that team was not good. Mm-mm. Then all of a sudden the Seahawks got a taste of Carroll without Wilson. And they're like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, this this is this isn't gonna work. So my biggest loser, Pete Carroll. I Nate, can't wait to tell you my biggest winner. Biggest winner. Biggest winner in the NFL last week, Adele. And let me tell you why, Adele. Ready. Because Adele saved us from having to watch. That was it. 
was it Sunday Night Football? Yeah, it was Sunday Night Football. Uh, I don't even I can't even tell you who played on Sunday Night Football because I was watching Adele, biggest winner. Wow, she was amazing. She was amazing. Adele she is the, she's fantastic. She might be one of the greatest current living, you know, singers, male, female, doesn't matter. Uh, she is unbelievable. Adele's my biggest winner. Are you ready for a take while we're on the subject? Yeah, absolutely. The most talented and gifted vocalist on the planet right now is Tori Kelly. Yeah, I went there. I went there. I don't, even know, than I don't a, even know who that is. You don't know who that is? <laughs> no. All right. Google it when I'm done. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Never even, is it a male, female? That's a female. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. What, what was the name? Tori Kelly. T-O-R-I Kelly. <laughs> yes. She's fantastic. She's the she's the best vocalist on the planet right now. That's my strong take. Better than all of the people you talk about. Better than Adele. Better than Carrie Underwood. Better whoever you think the best vocalist on the planet is right now. I think Tori Kelly's better. That's my that's my hot take. My biggest winner this week in the NFL was Jonathan Taylor. And I'll tell yeah. you why it was Jonathan. He Taylor. stays winning. Jonathan Taylor continues to win, but more importantly. Jonathan Taylor has made you forget that there was a Derrick Henry a couple weeks ago. That's right. And I think that that's really impressive for someone who leaves a legacy like that. Jonathan Taylor is starting to get those Adrian Peterson comparisons. As you He's should. starting to get that galloping big play at any given moment. You can break a big one sort of stuff. And when you have that, when you have that aura, which he was a good player. And everyone expected this year he was going to break out. He came out a little bit slow at the very beginning of the year, and there was some question as to why he wasn't getting more carries. But Naheem Hines, who got a bajillion catches last year for Phillip Rivers, and because of Phillip Rivers' presence, I actually feel like they ended up putting in Naheem Hines more often than they probably should have. And mm -hmm. it kind of put a little bit of a damper on Jonathan Taylor. He got off to a little slow start last year too. But for me... Jonathan Taylor is becoming the dude in the NFL. When people think about running backs who can take over a game, running backs who can break a 70-yard touchdown, they're thinking about Jonathan Taylor. And because he's starting to get the capacity to match yeah. the talent, the key, key the, he's always had the talent. Nick Chubb has the talent too, but as long as he's splitting carries with Kareem Hunt, that he'll never be it'll never be realized at the same level. It'll JT never be will. the same thing. Jonathan yeah. Taylor is getting the capacity now to match the talent. Marcel Louis Jacques and I were having a discussion about a Jonathan Taylor trade, and he was willing to trade me a lot of things for Jonathan Taylor. And I, I, I was, I was probably balking at most of them because Jonathan Taylor is a 22 year old star yeah. in the NFL who, as long as he stays healthy, is starting to get those Adrian Peterson comparisons. You're looking at potentially a Hall of Fame caliber player, and that's in his second year. I'm saying that because that's the kind of stuff. Think about the situation he's put in. With the Kansas City offensive, sorry, Kansas City, the Indianapolis offensive line, and right. Frank Reich, who's going to give him the ball. This is a big winner this week, and we are winners, Nate. We are. You and I are winners because we had people show up for our show. We and are engage winners. in the comments and make sure that they were giving us hot stuffing takes and all that stuff. Before you come back next week, Nate, listen to some Tori Kelly. Tell me what you think. All right, about sure. I'll, I'll I'll do homework for you. Do do homework. Yeah, some homework. Right. For those of you in the comments sections and those of you listening around the world, the thanks globe. for stopping by. 
to Food for Thought, and we hope you didn't leave hungry. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.